you will turn to Haggai. Uh, we're going to, as we began a few weeks ago, uh, take a few looks at uh, some Old Testament minor prophets. We call them minor simply because of the length of their book is, is rather short compared to that of Isaiah and Jeremiah. And if you go to the, if you go to the middle, the, the gap between the, the New Testament and the Old Testament, and then turn back three books, Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai. Haggai, probably not a book many of us are, maybe, are, maybe are or aren't familiar with, and, and that's part of the reason why we're looking. We looked at uh, Habakkuk a few weeks ago, and, and uh, the, the fact that God is always faithful. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at Lamentations, that His loving kindnesses indeed never cease there in Lamentations 3, 21 and through 24, and Last week, I appreciate Ray jumping in there and, and preaching for me. Ray Sanabria from Main Campus, I, I heard he did a great job, as I, as I was confident he would, and Ray always does a great job with the Word. And Today, we're in Haggai. Next week, we will begin a series in First Peter that uh, we're going to call Weird, and uh, the, 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 the title of that series will be Weird. There ought to be, there ought to be our lives ought to be weird. And, and, and when you think about that word weird, I, I would say look it up because the word literally means of supernatural origin. Think about that, of supernatural origin. There ought to be something supernatural about our lives. And, and really that's the, the and, and, it, and it all is sourced in the grace of God in Christ. In 1 Peter 5, 12, Paul, Peter concludes the letter and he said, stand firm in the grace of Christ. Everything that he puts forth in that letter is sourced in the grace of Christ. God's grace uh, offers a supernatural component, a supernatural element to our lives, something that, that really is weird to the world. And I thought about, I know Barbara shared last week, but I was blessed by a phone call two weeks ago from, from Ashley Rickle, just in the, in the loss of her father, and, and she called me uh, crying. And I, I, when people call the pastor crying, you never know where that phone call is headed, but she was just grateful for a church that had poured into her, that had equipped her to walk that road in front of, of many unsaved family members. She was grateful for the promises that, that had been poured into her life that she was aware of in the Word of God and had clung to and, and to the, the be able to speak the gospel, to speak truth, to, to speak the hope. You know, 2 Thessalonians 4.13 talks about we mourn as believers, but we do not mourn without hope as the world mourns. Our mourning as believers is mixed with hope. And there, even there, there's a supernatural element to our mourning. Hope. And again, all of that is in the grace of God through Christ Jesus and that the gospel ushers into our lives. And so that's, that's why we're going to call that series weird and, and just you know, ask ourselves, is there, are there things about our life that are weird to the world? Things about our lives that, that are weird. When the world looks at it, they, they think they're weird. And so, but... but We'll start that next week, and, and uh, we're starting next week on purpose because I want to speak to First Peter uh, 1, 3 and following on Easter that we have a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ's resurrection offers us uh, not a past hope, not a, not, a, not, a, not a dead hope, it's a living hope. Every single day, every single moment of every single day of our lives, we have a living hope, and, and, and we wanna, I want to talk about that for Easter. But today, uh, so in the meantime, I thought we'd spend a few weeks in, in, in the Old Testament, and today we are looking at the book of Haggai. And we have seen time and time again, especially in these Old, the, these old Testament books, the picture of God's faithfulness. I, I thought about it as I prepared. I thought about 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. No matter what, God is faithful. We saw that in Lamentations. His loving kindnesses, His faithfulness never ceases. We saw that in Habakkuk 3, 16 and through 18. Though there be no figs, there be no, there be no fruit on the vine, there be no cattle in the stall, yet I will exalt in the God of my salvation. Why? Because He's faithful. He's faithful. I thought about Psalm 86, 5. For you, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you, ready to forgive. And, and I, I share those because what you see in, in Haggai really is a picture, a reminder of, of the faithfulness of God. I, I laughed, a couple people texted me, I guess Ray mentioned uh, my favorite verse, my life verse, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Those of you who know, I, I say that tongue-in-cheek. I, I love Jeremiah 29, 11, and, and Ray did a great job with it um, as well, and I appreciate that. But we looked at this passage many, many uh, months ago. Jer- Israel, God's people, have sinned, and God has put them into captivity, into Babylonian captivity. It did not happen accidentally. God is exiling His people due to their sin. And and listen to what He says to them. He says thus, and and Lee mentioned it, Haggai mentions it, uh, Zechariah mentions it, Lord of hosts is a huge title for the Lord. He's sovereign, He's our defender, there's a a sense of army involved in that, that He is great and He is mighty. And He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem into Babylonian. He goes on to say, build houses, live there, take wives, become fathers and, and of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give daughters your husband, their husbands, and that they may bear sons and daughters, and multiply. Seek the welfare of the city. And he goes on to say, For thus says the Lord, When seventy years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that... And this is where Jeremiah 29, 11 fits in the context. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not calamity to give you a future and a hope. The the reality is is Israel has been in, in exile for 70 years. Persia has come in and, 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 and taken over Babylon. Persia is the new world king, the new world ruler, and Cyrus allows, allows, it says in Ezra that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he sends Israel, allows them to go back to Jerusalem. 
go back to their land. You see the faithfulness of God? Even in the midst of great sin, even in the midst of, of, of rejection, even in the midst of covenant unfaithfulness of his, of his people, God remained faithful. And, and really, as you study these, you realize the reason why we're in Haggai is because we battle the same battles. At the end of the day, Micah 6.8, He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. Here's what God wants of His people, loyalty. He wants loyalty. And, and, and that's, that's our issue. And, and, and Israel was not loyal. They were not covenantly faithful to their God and the Mosaic covenant that God had established with them. And, and all sorts of sin arose and, and God disciplined. We saw that in Lamentations, that God is fa- His faithfulness cuts both ways. We think of the faithfulness of God specifically with regards to blessing, but God's faithfulness cuts both ways. He will be faithful to discipline sin, to judge sin. The Deuteron- Deuteronomy 28-30, through 30, he, he said, if you do this, I will bless you. If you do this, I will curse you to his own people. And he was faithful. We saw in Hebrews 12, 7-11, that God disciplines those whom he loves. And, but God is faithful even that discipline. He doesn't let you out too soon so you don't earn the lesson. But he doesn't leave you there so long that you lose hope. He's faithful. And and again, I want to give you a little bit of, I want to set the stage for Haggai so you understand what's going on here as a result, again, of their covenant unfaithfulness. And again, even Jeremiah warned and warned and warned. We read it in Jeremiah 29, 11. God is going to exile you to Babylon for 70 years because of your unfaithfulness. And yet they persisted. And in 586 and 87, 86, you got to go backwards there. B.C., it happens. You could go to 2 Kings 24, 25. The Babylonians, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, they come in and they destroy the city of Jerusalem. They destroy the temple. The temple was the center of, of the Jews' worship there. It, it, it was where God's presence dwelt. All the sacrifices happened there. It was, it was central to their, to their walk in relationship with the Lord. And he took the Jews captive to Babylon. And, and everything changed because they had no temple. Everything changed because they were not in their land. And Haggai takes place after, again, Jeremiah says, after 70 years, I, God will bring you back to Jerusalem. And Haggai happens at the end of that 70 years. It was a reminder of God's faithfulness. Again, you can go back to Ezra chapter 1. Cyrus of Persia allows even funds the rebuilding of the temple. The 70 years that Jeremiah prophesied that they would be in captivity, again, you can, go, you can go back to history and the dates are there. At the end of the 70 years, I will be faithful. I'm not done with you. Because even though you are faithful, I will remain faithful. Babylon is overthrown by the Persians, as I, as I, I said, and, and Cyrus allows the Jews to return. And, and, and Haggai really shows us that even though the remnant was free, even though they were headed back to their land, not all was well. Even though the people had been removed from Babylon, you're going to see it was really hard to get Babylon out of the people. They had been there for 70 years. 
generations raised there. You see the same thing when, when God, with the exodus from Egypt. Exodus pictures the, God getting the people out of Egypt, and then you have Leviticus, if you will, is really about getting Egypt out of the people. And so what you see here is Haggai is battling. He's dealing with the effects of sin, the effects of them being exiled, and the return of the Jews took place, so you understand this, the return of the Jews back to Babylon took place in really three waves. The, the first wave was about 50,000 or so Jews that returned under the, the leadership of, of Shezbazar and, and Zerubbabel who replaced him in, in 537. You can go to Ezra chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 to see that. A second wave of about 1,700 uh, men plus women and children, so maybe 5,000, 6,000 people, uh, they go back to Jerusalem in 458 B.C. And then Nehemiah led the third wave of exiles back to Jerusalem, probably about 42,000 or more back in 444. Haggai and Zechariah seem to, uh, according to history, they appear to have been two of the returnees that were in this first wave that returned. And, and during that first year, they're back in their land. They, they have, they've built the, the brazen altar in Jerusalem. They've resumed some of their offering and sacrifices. They're, they're celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. They're, they're, they've laid the foundation of the rebuilding of the temple. Again, the whole reason to go back was to, re, again, rebuild the temple, central to their worship. But they go back, and when they go back into Jerusalem, they find that there's a lot of opposition there. There's a lot of non-Jews there, Gentiles. And because of the, op- because of the opposition to the rebuilding of the temple, the temple foundation has laid there unbuilt upon, unfinished for 16 years. 16 years. And then in 520 B.C., as a result of, again, the, the, uh, the result of not only the Persian government, but the preaching of Haggai, the people begin to rebuild the temple. 16 years went by. And Haggai's purpose, you see it on your handout there, the purpose of Haggai really is to motivate the Jews to focus on loyalty to the Lord. Loyalty. Simply because they were out of Babylon, that was not the end game. That was not the end. It was loyalty. It was covenant loyalty. I would say to you and I, simply being forgiven of your sin is not the end it's that you would be holy. It's that you would be a representative of, of the Lord. It's that you would go and seek and save the lost. That you would fight for the kingdom of God. When We, we, were, in, we were in Washington this week on, on vacation, Washington, D.C. And we had the joy of, of uh, experiencing Uber for the first time. I had, never, I had never done that. Very, whoever created that, I wish I would have. Very ingenious. I mean, you basically just tell them to be here and like they show up in a minute. I mean, out of nowhere. It was kind of weird, actually. Like, have you guys been spying on me? Like, did you know I was, I mean, this was kind of weird. Where'd you come from? But no, so, you know, we get in the car and George, the first guy, and George's got a, there's a cross hanging from his rearview mirror and I sit up in the front and kids and Karen sit in the back. And so I just start, I just start asking about the gospel and George's a believer. 
from Iran. Whole family fled persecution. We take another Uber, we take another Uber and, and there's a gentleman and, and he's from Ethiopia, believer. Fled persecution. Another Uber driver I'm sharing with him, he's a believer and, and he said he was a believer from Togo. And I was thinking about this is this is what this is what the that the end of days this is what it's going to look like when every nation every tribe every tongue is worship and immediately you know you get in a you get in a car with somebody that you never met and with your family there's a part of being a guy I'm thinking okay I'm I'm looking I'm like how am I going to defend my family if this thing goes south I don't know who these people are and, but yet immediately as I'm talking to them and they're able to talk about the gospel and, it's, and we walk through the gospel and it's clear they're believers, it's clear they understand that there was an immediate bond, immediate brotherhood. And, and talking, about, talking with these gentlemen about, about you know, the persecution and, and stuff that their families and their friends have undergone in these countries... And, and Haggai, that, that ought to be our burden. Our burden ought to be the gospel. Our burden ought to be seeking and saving the lost. Our burden ought to be preaching the gospel that we saw in Colossians 1, transferring people from the domain of darkness into the marvelous, glorious kingdom of light. And, and see, the same thing that was true with, with the people that Haggai preached to is the same thing that's true in my life and your life. And that's really why I want to focus on Haggai today because I think the, the perils, the hazards that Israel faced in Haggai's day are the same perils and hazards that you and I face today. If we were honest, loyalty to the Lord is an issue. Faithfulness. And no matter what time we live in, no matter what, what era or country, I, I think we face these hazards. And, and the four hazards that we're going to look at, we're going to look at them individually, and you see them in Haggai, and I'm going to use these to help us understand the, the book here and what Haggai was preaching against, but their number one is misplaced priorities. Every believer faces the hazard of misplaced priorities. Look at chapter 1 of Haggai, verse 2. You see, in, starting in verse 1, might as well. In the second year of Darius the king, on the de- first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, here, here was the command. Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says, The time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The whole purpose, you go back to Ezra 1, the whole purpose was to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And in their enthusiasm, they went back, they they laid the foundation, and then they got distracted. Then they started making excuses. Well, the time's not right to proceed with the building. Sixteen years earlier, it had had been begun, but it had ceased. They, They had clear instruction with, and, the, and the clear understanding of the need with regards to what they were commanded to do. And, and Haggai finds the people making excuses on why they could not obey the Lord. Why they couldn't do what the Lord had called them to do. All kinds of excuses. 
They, they seemed uh, to have been waiting for some sort of miraculous indication from God to resume the building, except they had a command, build the temple. They didn't need the miraculous. They had the word, build the temple. And, and they, they, they had gotten to the point where they needed something else to sort of go along with the word, to justify their disobedience. They had a command, but they needed more. And at the very same time, look at verse 4. This is what Haggai is speaking against. Again, misplaced priorities. Look at verse 4. It is time for you yourselves to dwell. Is it, is, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while, the house, while this house lays desolate? You see the issue? They were very motivated building their own houses. They were very motivated with their own agenda, but they didn't have time for God's agenda. They were very, they had all the time in the world to do what they wanted to do. When they were very motivated when it came to building their own homes, to their own agenda. But when it came time to obeying what the Word had called them to do, what the Lord had called them to do, there were excuses. No time. They, they had plenty of time to serve themselves, had no time to serve God. They were building their own homes and they were neglecting God's home, if you will, the temple. And it was important to finish building the temple because then they could fulfill and, 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 and get back into their Levitical worship as the Lord had specified. Because again, the sacrificial system and all that happened, happened at the temple. And the whole reason for their going into exile was covenant unfaithfulness, and they needed to return to obedience to the Mosaic covenant. The, the temple, again, was huge. It was a picture of the glory of God. It, was the, it, was, it represented His presence. Central to Haggai's emphasis, again, in this whole letter, is the temple as God's dwelling place on earth. It was the center of their worship. It was a symbol of... Of God's greatness. And it was of utmost importance. And think about that. To refuse to build the temple was at best, was at best a way of saying that the Lord didn't matter whether the Lord was present with them. Didn't matter. At worst, it was presuming upon grace. That that the Lord would dwell and bless his people no matter how they lived. Absolutely not true. And again, the people, the people were eager to serve their own agenda, their own needs, their own wants, but it came to building the temple and obeying the word, even enabling them to worship as, as, as they were commanded to exalt his reputation in the land. They were waiting, they were stalling, they were out of energy, out of time, out of resources. 17 years, almost 17 years had passed. They sat there looking at the foundation. Again, they were eager to serve their own agenda, their own needs, their wants, but again, had no time for the things of God. And you you see it on the handout. There is a tendency, again, for you and I, believer, to become apathetic over long periods of time, to become distracted. You look at verses 5 and 6. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts. And here's, if you were to study Haggai every verse, he says this over and over. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. 
You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earn wages to put into a purse with holes. Look at verse 7. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. The, 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 the reason they struggled so mightily, it was a covenant unfaithfulness. Covenant unfaithfulness. And, and I would say, I would say, I think there's a tendency for you and I today to struggle with the same thing, misplaced priorities. Is, I would say to us today, is God's glory foremost in your life? Does, does your agenda for your life match God's agenda for your life? Is your agenda seemingly more important than God's agenda? Our, our, where is our allegiance in all of that? What, what enemies might, might God have with regards to your loyalty? Things fighting for your time, for our resources. Again, you look at verse 8. The, 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 the point behind their work, the duty they were called to, the obedience they were called to was rebuild the temple. Give priority to what God has called you to do. And again, you and I, you and I face the same face the same battles. In 2 Timothy 2:4, Paul writes this: No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. You see the tendency? For a soldier to forget he's on a mission and instead entangle himself with the affairs of everyday life. To forget why he's here. To forget the mission that he's been given. Again, there, you see it on your handout. There's a tendency to become distracted from the work of the Lord by our culture. And when that happens, we get our priorities out of order. Our houses become more important than our temple. You and I today, here's the beauty. You and I today, see 1 Corinthians 6, you and I are the temple. And some of us, some of us might care more about the cleanliness of this place where we worship or the cleanliness of our house than we do the cleanliness of our own hearts. We're more concerned about what goes on here than we are what goes on here. You're the temple. If you're a believer, you're the temple. 1 Corinthians 6, or do you not know that you are the temple of God? He says, you have been bought with a price, therefore, therefore... Glorify God in your body as the temple. Same word, same word, naos, N-A-O-S. Tony can help you pronounce that. I'm, not, I'm still working on English. I don't understand Greek and Hebrew that well. But same word, it's the same word. That's what Paul is saying. He dwells in you and I. I, I, think, about, I think about Timothy in 2, 6 or 7. 1 Timothy 2, 6 or 7. He says, he says, all worldly discipline is the moment, but he says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For physical discipline has only a temporary, a temporary. Because some of us, some of us might care more about our physical bodies than we do our spiritual bodies. Some of us may be more disciplined about physical exercise than we are spiritual exercise. That's the distraction. We're the temple. And, and what Haggai does is, again, it's, he's dealing with the peril of misplaced priorities. And, and 
Just as then, I would say today, be on guard against this. Haggai challenges us at this. And, and, and again, if, if we have failed or stalled as the Jews did, Haggai says, repent. Repent. Look at verse 13 and 14. Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord, of hosts, their God. Repent. Get back to work. Psalm 51.10, David says, Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. That, that might be the application. Maybe, maybe, maybe some of us are battling misplaced priorities. The time is short. God has called us to, again, to be about His kingdom, to be about His agenda. Not saying we can't enjoy things. 1 Timothy 6, all things are given to, to enjoy, but we ought to steward them in a way that glorifies God that is about His agenda. Misplaced priorities. God, God's agenda has got to take place over our agenda. Obedience, obedience has got to be our priority. Spiritual growth, priority. More than worldly growth. The, the second peril that, that Israel battled was incorrect perspectives. Incorrect perspectives. You know, the workers, they, they've re, begun rebuilding the temple... And, and look at verse 3. Some of them start comparing their work to the previous temple. Look at verse 3 of chapter 2. Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And, and how do you see it now? Does it not seem like to you like nothing in comparison? Uh, imagine if, if some of the older individuals were alive and when Solomon's temple was still erected. And, and now they're seeing this. And they couldn't help but weep in comparing the two structures. It looked as if their, 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 their work was fruitless. It looked as if their, their work was nothing significant. They, they felt like what they were doing was insignificant. And, and the reality not that Haggai presents them with is this. The important thing is not the size or the magnificent, uh, magnificence of the house, but the existence of it. The existence of it. It was imperative for them that they rebuild their temple. Again, it was an act of faith that honored God. Build. Build. Simply obey. And I would bet some of us in here, some of us in here at times have felt like, does, does what you're doing really matter? Does it really matter? Does it seem insignificant? I mean, does, does teaching Awana every Wednesday night, do you sometimes fall into the trap of feeling that's insignificant? Does, does, does teaching the children on Sunday mornings in the nursery and, and, and the students and all, all the stuff that goes on here every Sunday morning, and, and so many of you are very faithful, I mean, very faithful, but do, do you ever battle with, it doesn't matter? Is it making a difference? I was remind, as I was preparing this, I was reminded, of, again, of Ashley's phone call. I don't mean to embarrass her, but two weeks ago when I got that phone call, it, it, it was one of those recalibration moments. It absolutely matters. 
I bet it mattered to her. It mattered to her family. To be equipped to walk through the loss of your father suddenly. I bet it mattered to talking to Maria and Bill. It mattered to them to fly up to New York and bury their 18-year-old granddaughter unexpectedly two weeks ago. To be able to stand in front of their friends and family and preach the gospel well and to be able to walk through it with hope. It mattered to them to, to walk through the loss of a spouse like some of you have walked through. And to walk through that well and understand the faithfulness of God, it matters then. It, it mattered to the taxi, to the Uber drivers that I sat there and talked to time and time again who have buried loved ones for the cause of Christ. Whose families are being persecuted every single day for being loyal to Christ. I bet it mattered to them. We, we, live, in a wor- we live in a world where, again, America, great... But, but again, we, 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 we don't understand that what we're doing, that it matters. That, that Christians all over the world are being persecuted every single moment of every day. Why? Because they profess Christ. And, and I, I bet the same persecution would wait us on our campuses, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces if we were bold. If we didn't have misplaced priorities, maybe. It matters. I, I struggle even in my own heart. I, I will co- re- confess to you the, you know, growing up at Idlewild spiritually and, and leaving an, a 500,000 square foot, 85, whatever, million dollar, whatever the number is, million dollar building, and then God moves me here to a building that was built in 1985. Show up this morning and the brand new air conditioner don't even work. Thanks to Nathan. Y'all have air. Thank you, Nathan. It's easy to compare. To be teaching a Sunday school class that was about as large as the church that I was that we began, you know, at that time. It's easy to compare. It's easy for me to struggle day to day wondering in the preaching and the studying and the classes and, and all that, you know, it does it matter? It matters. It matters. Faithfulness matters. 1 Corinthians 4 said, It is required of a steward to be found faithful. Faithfulness is what God is after. Loyalty. We'll leave the results up to Him, but our job, our job is to be faithful. It matters. And their duty in Haggai's day was the same duty that you and I have today. It's be strong and work. Strong and work. Be faithful. Obey. And Haggai teaches us that we should not compare. The word there is compare the work that God has given us to do with the work that He has given others to do. You simply do what God has called you to do. You obey. Again, you see that in verses 4 and 5. Take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all you people of the land. Take courage and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. Don't worry about that. I'm with you. And and I thought about this in in Joshua. In Joshua 1, when when Moses dies, and and Joshua is taking up the, the reins, and look at what God tells him. 
No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. This is how God encourages Joshua. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land that I swore to their fathers. Only be strong and very courageous. He says this over and over again. Be careful to do all that the law of which Moses has called you to do. Do not turn from it to the right or the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have success. Again, verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. I will, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Build your life on that promise. Be faithful. I mean, what God is saying to them is the same thing He says to us. Trust me. Hebrews, uh, uh, Hebrews 11, 6. Without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Work, but work in hope. Work in hope. And that's exactly what he holds out for for Haggai. Look at verses 6 through 9. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while. This Again, this is their perspective. They, They looked at the immediate. They only looked at what they saw. And listen to what Haggai says. Haggai takes their eyes off of what they see onto what they do not see. And he says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also and all the dry land. I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of all the nations and I will fill this house with the glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Here's what he says. Don't look to what is seen, exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians Four verses fourteen through sixteen or sixteen through eighteen. Do not look to what is seen, but what is unseen. For that which is unseen is more real than that which is seen. God's saying there's going to come a day where there's going to be so much glory fill this temple, it'll make Solomon's temple pale in comparison. That's the day that you and I live for. It's not the here and now. There's a day coming, there's a day coming, believer, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. You can do it from a salvific standpoint, or you can do it from a standpoint where you're on your way to hell. And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that, I don't say that with joy, but that's the reality. Every knee will bow, every single tongue will confess one day that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Haggai takes their eyes to that day. Brothers, sisters, I'm, taking our, I'm trying to take our eyes to that day. Do not look to what is seen. Look to what is unseen. We, we, we had a chance while we were in Washington to walk through the Bible Museum and just to see the, the, the beauty of the Bible, the trustworthiness of the Bible, the impact that the Bible has had throughout history while we were in Washington. You and I are part, you, even, even as we rode in those Ubers, realizing that there are brothers and sisters all over the world who I will spend eternity worshiping. In, in this day and time, God is offering forgiveness for sin. He is offering you forgiveness for your sin. 
But listen, there will come a day when he returns where he will not offer forgiveness for sin. He will only offer judgment. Our, our mission, our role today is to offer the gospel, to preach the gospel so that people are prepared to see that day. That's our mission. It's not, to, it's not just to live it up. Oh, I'm saved, now I just live for myself. That's not what God has left us to do. Certainly enjoy, 1 Timothy 6, He has given us all things to enjoy, but He has given us all things to complete His mission. 2 Peter 1.3, seeing that His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need. It's about stewardship. There's coming a day where this, this thing that God is doing in Odessa through your lives is going to be globally bigger than you could ever imagine. Even today, it's globally bigger than you could ever imagine. Maintain a right perspective. Keep pouring into your kids day by day. Even though you may not think it's doing anything, keep pouring into them. Keep serving your neighbor day by day. Keep, keep going to work faithfully day by day. Building on those promises that one day, one day, one day all things, listen, all things will be restored to Christ. All things will be renewed. All day, all things. In the meantime, listen, we struggle. Be aware of what God is doing. We, we all can fall into that trap of thinking that, that what we're doing again is insignificant. Oh, if I was only, if I was only working when, when Hudson Taylor was, was around, or when I was back, I've thought about this in George Washington's days, and we can all get into that, that, oh, the good old days. Listen, I guarantee you they didn't think they were good old days. They were struggling. And it's an excuse. Listen to me, in my own heart, God reminded me, that's an excuse, Chris, to not do what God has called us to do today. Today. It's easy for us to get distracted. It's easy for us to lose perspective. To think that our contribution is insignificant. It's not. It's not. And you see it on your handout. We need to remind ourselves, the word there is remind, remind ourselves that the same God who enabled the saints of old to succeed has promised to be with us and enable us to succeed in our calling. That's Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. I, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We need to focus on what God has given us to do. And faith, you'll see it on your handout, faith looks at our current situations, whatever they are, through the lens of God's sovereignty and goodness. And faith walks until God, however long God waits, faith walks faithfully. Obedience. Focus. No matter what. Right perspective. But not only that, the third peril is unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations. Go, go to chapter 2, verse 12. Okay, starting in verse 11. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Again, you see that title. Ask now the priest for a ruling. And this is a pretty rhetorical question. He's, he's revealing something to them that's clear. But he listened. If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches bread with this fold or cooked food, wine, oil, or any other food, will it become holy? And the priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if one who is unclean from a corpse touches any of these, will the latter become unclean? And the priest answered, it will become unclean. 
Then Haggai said, so is this people, and so is this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and what they offer is unclean. See what he's saying to them? Haggai reminds them, you see it on your handout, it was wholehearted devotion is what God was blessed by. They had the attitude that, hey, just because, they were, just because they were doing what God had told them to do, that they could live however they wanted to live. And he says, no, God's not honored in that. He's saying obedience matters. How you live matters. Otherwise, sin defiles our obedience. Again, their sacrifices were being made unclean, unacceptable, because they were unclean through the unholiness, through the sin in their lives. And listen, just because they came in contact with something holy, such as the temple, didn't make them acceptable before God. Just because you show up to church, just because we give, just because we may obey, that doesn't earn our standing before God. It's by grace we have been saved. And as saved individuals, we ought to be holy. See 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. Be holy, for I am holy. Not to earn it, but because we've been declared holy. We've been declared righteous. God's grace has granted to us righteousness. Live that out. Don't think just because we've been saved, now we can live however we want to live. See Romans 6. Shall I sin? If grace is shown where sin abounds, shall, shall, shall I just sin? He says, by no means. Don't, they, they thought, oh, just because we're doing what God called us to do, now we can live however we want to live. And he says, no means. Even in 1 Corinthians 5, a very challenging passage but the, he, he says the same thing listen what he says the, these individuals had not disciplined an individual who was immoral un, unrepentantly immoral blatantly immoral they prided themselves on offering him fellowship and paul says you should have thrown him out and listen what he says your boasting is not good do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you were in fact unleavened, for Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You see what sin does? It spreads like cancer. Spoils the whole lump. You know, and they are thinking, well, well you know, why aren't things working out well for us? Because we're doing what God told us. Why this? Why that? Why that? Look, he says you're not doing it wholeheartedly. You're not doing it with a sincere heart. You're not doing it with sincere motives. You're going through the motions. And, and I, think the same is, I think that same challenge is a, is a, is a hazard. That same hazard, rather, is, 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 is still present for you and I. We're just going through the motions. Showing up, checking the box. Expecting God to bless just because, you know, God ought to be honored just because we showed up today. It's interesting because you read through these prophets and the people, the people asked a different question that the prophets asked. And the, the people would ask, they would ask God for the blessing and they would ask God for the timing of the blessing. God, when are you going to give us the blessing and, and tell us when all this is going to happen. And the prophets reversed it. The prophets would say to the people, when are you going to live lives that are worthy of the blessing? Think about that. They reversed the question. 
They were asking God, give us the blessing. And the prophets speaking on behalf of God were saying, no, when are you going to live lives that are worthy of the blessing? See, one puts responsibility on God. The other puts responsibility on you and I and how we live. It's like our kids. You learn a lot of theology through our kids. Our kids want, 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 want. But you can't act like you act and then get what you get. I mean, and let me, me bless you. I'm not going to reinforce disobedience. And we want all this stuff, and I think the same is true. Live. Live lives that are worthy. I think about 1 John 2, 28, that he says, live in such a way that you do not shrink back in shame at his appearing. You know what the Bible says? Be ready for his appearing. We want to know when his appearing is. And you know what the Bible says? Just be ready. Be ready. Be living in such a way that whenever he returns, you're ready. And how do you do that? By reminding yourself of God's faithfulness. He will always be faithful. That's the fill in there. God will always be faithful. It's not even a question. The greater question is, will we seek to be faithful to Him? As I shared in 2 Timothy 2.13, even if we are not faithful, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Persevere. Hang in there. That, that's part of the reason why we gather. I, I think about Hebrews 12, 12 through 17, just to encourage us with that. He says, Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet. Listen, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to, the, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, that, it may, that, it may, that by it many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godly, godless person like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. That's part of the reason we gather. To encourage one another, to strengthen one another. Why? So they'll persevere. Persevere. To encourage one another, as Hebrews 10, 23-5 says, As long as you gather, do not forsake the assembling together, but encourage one another. Maintaining that right perspective. We're not alone. You're not the only one. Again, Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man with every temptation. What? God is faithful. He's faithful. The fourth, the fourth and last peril, real quickly, is unnecessary fears. Unnecessary fears. Go to, go to 2, Haggai 2, 22, 20, starting verse 20. And really, Haggai is really divided up in some ways into four sermons. And this is the fourth sermon, if you will. He says, The word of the Lord came to ha a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of kingdoms of the nations. And I will overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders will go down, every one by the sword of another. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shield, to my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. That right there is the promise of Christ. 
God promised that one day he would destroy everything that opposed him. That promise is fulfilled in Christ. And here, here in response to their fears, in response to everything, here's what God told them through Haggai. Be patient. Be patient. Wait faithfully. Look at, look at 2.9. The latter, again, we saw it. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. When, when the Messiah returns and He rules and He reigns, listen, the Gentiles will no longer lord it over us. There's coming a day when Christ is going to put under His feet finally and completely and fully every ruler and throne. Go to Psalm 2. Paints a picture of all these rulers who are opposing the Lord. You know what it says? It says, the Lord who sits on the throne above scoffs at them. He laughs. He laughs. There will be persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12 Those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There will be persecution. But listen, wait. Hope. The enemy may look strong. The enemy, we may feel weak. Things may not have seemingly changed over a long time. Listen, our duty is to be patient. Our duty is to be patient. Build your life on the promises of the Lord that one day He will return and balance the scales. 2 Peter 3, verses... uh, 3.8, 2 Peter 3.8, listen. But do not let this one fact escape you, beloved, that with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. He goes on, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away, and a roar, and the elements will be destroyed, and the tense heat, and the earth, and all its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to His promise, again, His faithfulness, we are looking for new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by peace, by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. Why is God delaying for the salvation of the lost? What task has God given his children in the meantime? Seek and save the lost. Will there be opposition? Yes. Will will it require will will we battle with fears? Yes. Greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. Remind yourself. Will, 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 will there be a temptation to become distracted as we wait? Yes. Every single one of these fears, the beauty is this, every single one of these fears, God led Haggai to meet them by reminding the people of their duty and also the dynamic. They had a responsibility to do something. Your obedience matters, your loyalty matters. I, I, I love Matthew 10, 28 in regards to fears. He says, do not fear him who can only destroy your body, but fear, whom who can, fear him who can destroy both your body and your soul. 
The, the overarching truth of Haggai that I want us to walk away with, and we'll close, is this. Whatever God's people face, whenever God's people face problems involving fulfilling His will, we should do our duty as the Word of God reveals it with the assurance. The word there is assurance that when we do, God will provide everything we need to succeed. We can be assured no matter what, God will be faithful. Live in confidence of that faithfulness. And if, if you're here and a believer, live in the confidence of that faithfulness. That the blessing will come. The fullness of the blessing will come. The fullness of our adoption will come. And if you're here today and you're not a believer, the flip side of that faithfulness is this. One day judgment will come. God is patient, not wanting any to repent. Not, not, wanting, any, not, no, not wanting anyone to perish. Wanting people to repent. Forgive me. If we confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God. Do our sin. Saved from the penalty of God. Do our sin, which is death. In place of death, do the penalty of our sin. God has offered through His Son eternal life. If we will repent of our sins, turn away from them and turn to Christ. And if you're a believer today, and if you've done that, keep looking to Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And for the joy set before Him, endured the cross, despising His shame. Why? For the hope. For the hope.